who was here last week for Father Nick's sermon? Wow, that was good. I listened to it online. He is a good, spirit-filled man. I like it. He emphasized that God is a good giver and that that has to be a foundation that is laid before we talk about anything else in all of Scripture and theology when we think about God. God is good. Say that with me. God is good. He's a Father who cares for our wholeness and always has our well-being in mind. It's so important to to lay that foundation before we tackle a passage like we do from the Gospels today. A, A passage of what we might call a call to radical discipleship from the words of our Lord. Now Jesus is often speaking words of gentleness and compassion in this, uh, this passage today, he's actually speaking a word of confrontation to us. And you see, when we know in our hearts that God is good, that, that even when the Savior speaks words of confrontation, it comes from a place of loving concern. Amen. And so I pray it shakes us up in all the right ways today as we listen to his living word to us today. Now, the point really of the passage, we could sum it up like this, and it's that Jesus calls us to live a bold and unashamed faith. And and friends, in the Western world, the church, if this is not our primary sin, it's close to it. It's that we don't live out our faith publicly as bold witnesses for the name of Jesus. Because we've, we've befriended the world and we care more about pleasing the world than we do about God. And the Lord is calling us and says, I have a better life for you to live. A life of bold proclamation. So let's jump right in. Uh, Luke 12 is a wonderful passage. You should read through the whole chapter on your own time if you haven't recently. It's really a passage about discipleship and the call on our lives. He talks about God's provision that he will meet all of our needs, that it's his as his fatherly heart to want to give to his children, to give good gifts to them, especially his Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and he says, having laid that foundation, Jesus says, now you must know that the call is costly. And you have to put all of your trust in the Heavenly Father because the call to discipleship is costly. The call to cling to me no matter what, to allow me to be Lord of your life, will cost you in this world. You see, it's an aspect of the faith that doesn't get talked about much anymore. Jesus is going to return and he's going to judge whether or not our lives were actually, the fruit of our lives actually showed that we knew his grace. That we actually received him as Lord and Savior. This is a timely message. I think if you pay attention to the world of social media, the Christian world, you'll know that just within the last few weeks, two different prominent Christian leaders, two different prominent Christian leaders have renounced their faith and and boldly renounced it. And, and, and inevitably will lead others astray. You see, Jesus said when he was talking about the last days to his disciples, he said, because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. Friends, let our love for Jesus, let our passion for the Savior never grow cold. Let it never grow cold. Luke chapter 12. Now Jesus, (laughs) he's on fire. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth and wood that it were already kindled. Now what is the fire that he's talking about? It's a fire of judgment. It's a fire of righteous and just judgment. It's the fire that actually comes and divides believers from unbelievers. You see, Jesus came not only to bring salvation to sinners, he actually came to be the great divider of humanity. First of Israel and then of all the world. 
when, you remember when the infant Jesus was getting brought to the temple to get his, his blessing, he's being presented in the temple and Simeon the priest was praying the blessing over him and Simeon gives a prophetic word to Joseph and Mary who are there with this child and he says this, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when a person encounters Jesus Christ, they must either die or kill Jesus. That is, how people respond to Jesus will reveal the states of their hearts. Will they accept Him as Lord of heaven and earth and Lord of their lives? Will they remain in their sins and reject Him? You see, you can't just have half of Jesus. You have to have the whole Jesus. You can't just surrender half of your life to Jesus or three quarters or 99%. It has to be everything. You know, many people today, they, they, they pay a certain level of homage to Jesus. They say he was such a great, kind man. He was such a, a good moral teacher. He really taught us how to love each other and to forgive people. And yes, that's all true, but you can say all that and affirm all that and not make him Lord of your life, of your behavior, of your time, of your thoughts. C.S. Lewis, he famously said, you've heard this before, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Lewis says that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Now, here's the other danger. You can actually accept him as God intellectually, but but deny him as Lord of your life in reality. Friends, our life Our life will be the proof of whether or not we actually know him. If you got sprinkled with some water when you were a baby by a priest, great, wonderful. If you said a prayer when you were at summer camp when you were a kid, wonderful. But it will be the fruit of our lives that shows whether or not we truly knew him as Lord and not just Savior. You see, how we respond to Jesus Christ with our lives is the most important thing about us. It has eternal consequences. It will make all of the difference in the world for us, whether or not you have true peace with God, whether or not you understand and know God's call and his purpose for your life, whether or not he recognizes you as one who truly knew him. Jesus goes on and he says this, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Now the word baptism, it does not always referring to a sort of sacramental dipping in the water. It's a word that means immersion. And so what Jesus is talking about here, he's making a reference because he's already on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. He's making a reference to being immersed in a painful and excruciating death on behalf of sinners. And he says, it causes me great distress. But it's for this very reason that I came into the world. And he looks out at us and he said, and he saw us. He saw us here today from his per- eternal perspective. He saw every one of you in this room. And he said, I'm pressing through to the cross for them because I don't want to leave them in their sins. I want to bring them into relationship with the heavenly father. It's what they were created for. And so he goes to the cross, fulfilling the father's purpose for him. Now, verse 51, Jesus is going to get really strange and confusing on us. 
He says this, do you think that I've come to bring peace to the earth? No. What? But rather division. But Jesus, we just said in our Gloria this morning, the, the words of the angels to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest on peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. Jesus, you said, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus, the prophet Isaiah called you the prince of peace. So what is up with this? Ah, oh, I love when he confuses us. It's so fun. You see, we have to distinguish between true peace and false peace. Because see, there's a superficial peace that you can have by denying Jesus in this life. There's a superficial peace that comes. You won't offend anybody. You won't, you won't bother people who have other beliefs. But that's a superficial peace. It's not a lasting peace. How many of us, friends, avoid using the name of Jesus because we have fear offending, offending some of us? Some of us will, will drop the God bomb and that's okay. I, love, I give glory to God. That's okay. But are we actually holding back from saying the name of who we believe is Lord and God? You see, there's power in the name of Jesus. But we fear what people will think about us. Jesus said this just a few chapters before this. He said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the father and of the holy angels. Friends, those words have been shaking me up lately. I went on vacation for two weeks and enjoyed myself and had a great time. And at the end of that two weeks, I saw all the opportunities that I had to share Jesus with people and I didn't act on a single one of them. And I've had to repent of that. Because the Lord wants to use us to tell people of his great love for sinners. You see, it's possible to believe in him inwardly and deny him in reality. John chapter 12, Jesus is preaching with power in the synagogue and people recognize there's something different about this man. And we read this, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Listen to what he says next. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. How many of us, for fear of being put out of the culture, refuse to confess his name and his word? You see, true peace, friends, it's found only in confessing the name of Jesus, no matter what the cost, Jesus told his disciples, my peace not let give to you. My peace I leave with you. It is not like the world gives peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You see, that's the true and lasting peace. I know that when the Spirit of God comes on me and convicts me to, to speak to somebody in public and I do it, even if I get blown off, I walk away with a deep sense of peace. I asked a guy if I could pray for his broken collarbone in Starbucks the other day and he, he, he well, more like six months ago, but he embarrassed me in front of people, kind of blew me off, basically told me to hit the road and it was embarrassing, but I walked out and I had the smile on my face because I knew that that man, no matter what, had some kind of encounter with Jesus in that moment. And the Lord said, just give it into my hands and let me deal with him. You see, that's where true, true peace comes from. But here's the thing. We can achieve true peace. We can achieve true peace without being willing to first sacrifice what brings only superficial peace. Jesus goes on and he says, because of me, families 
will be divided. Now, in the ancient world, family, everything. I mean, it was like, you've seen the Godfather. It was like that, right? You come into my house and disrespect my family. It was like that kind of family loyalty. And Jesus says, I don't care if your father turns against you, if your son turns against you. Because following me costs everything, even some of the closest relationships with you. He's not telling you to to be mean to your family and not love them. He's telling you your allegiance has to be with me before it's even to your family. Friends, are you willing to go after that true peace by living a life of unashamed and bold faith? That's the question before us today. You see, we will give an account for our lives. And these are difficult things to think about, I know. And I, and I, and I don't bring them up that often. Well, maybe I do. But we will stand before God. And I know that I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And He will say, Cam, let's reveal the film strip of your life. Let's look over the course of your life and see if you were a bold witness for me. There you are. I don't, I don't want it to be. There you are being silent again. And I was, but, but I gave you all this. I blessed you with this. I gave you the ability to speak to people. And there you are being quiet again when I was trying to speak three there you are i don't want that i want him to say there we are right there working again in starbucks with the guy with the broken collarbone there we are you told that guy about me even though you 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 didn't feel the boldness you just let my holy spirit speak and you know what cam i got him 10 years later down the road he was a broken alcoholic and he remembered that you told him that i loved him and he fell on his knees one night and gave his life to me you see that's what i want when the lord reviews my life with me to say that i lived unashamed and that I confessed his name because I cared more about the glory of God than the glory of man. Amen? Amen. So here's the question before us today. How, 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 practically can we live with unashamed faith? You all know I like to get practical, so let's get practical for a few minutes before we close. There's uh, three things that I want to talk about briefly today for how we can be faithful to the Lord and the first is this. This is a re- believe the love God has for you. Some of us, this is a real struggle. I was listening to a radio program the other day, a lady calling in, speaking to the Christian minister and saying, I've been a Christian and I go to church and I just, I have so much trouble really believing that God loves me. And he said, I want you to look at the cross and see the father crying out to you. I love you so much. I love the world so much that I gave my only son to die for your sin. And he said, where in the term, the world is your name left out? Friend, your name was not left out. He loved you. He loved you. First John chapter four says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God. But how many of us struggle? I, you know, I think many people, they think, oh, God is just mad all the time or he's really just disappointed with them all the time. You see that life of just struggle like that is not the Lord's will for us where we carry around guilt and shame constantly. Oh, easy and just can't do enough for you. I can't do enough for you. No, he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'll lead you through this life and give you the strength to do what I call you to do. But we have to believe the love God has for us. God loves you in spite of your sin, in spite of the sin that some of you here today are struggling with right now in your life. God loves you and he wants to call you back into his loving arms. He loves you despite your brokenness. He loves you despite your faithlessness. And he wants to forgive, heal, restore, pour out his Holy Spirit on your life. The second thing is this. We have to stop 
loving the world. We have to stop loving the world, stop grasping after the things that that we feel like offer us pleasure and fulfillment, but actually deplete us of true joy and distract us from Jesus. If you spend three hours of a day on these things, on the television, on the computers, you spend three hours a day on screens, but you spend 10 minutes a day talking to Jesus, what does that say about your love? I'm speaking to myself here too. Some of us can tell people every detail about the latest sitcom that was out and the characters on the show with great passion. Some of us can talk about sports athletes and all their statistics and barely know a single word, scripture from the word of God by heart. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. Jesus was speaking to a church in Revelation and he said, you do this well and you do this well and you do this well and you do really good deeds, but I have this against you. You have lost your first love. You have lost your first love. Uh, Mike Bickle, an author I've been reading a lot lately, says this. He says, as we grow in our understanding of his passion for us, it awakens passion in our hearts for him. Friends, you know God delights in you. He delights in his children. God was speaking through the prophet Zephaniah to the people of Israel and he wanted them to know despite all their sin and waywardness that he was bringing them back in to forgive them and restore them. And he said this, listen to this, I want you to close your eyes right now and hear these words spoken over you. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. You look at the cross. How could you love the world more than Jesus? He gave everything. He gave everything. A famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon, said this, He who delights in the possession of the Lord Jesus has all that the heart can wish. Go not abroad, you hungry wishes of my soul. Stay at home and feast on Jesus. For abroad you must starve, since all other beloveds are empty and undesirable. I love how Eugene Peterson in his paraphrased version of the Bible, uh, 1 John chapter 2, he says this, Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world in all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Young people, this is especially relevant for you. Your hearts are in the early formative stages of life and there is a world that is clamoring for your attention and your allegiance and your devotion. But there's also a kind and gentle Savior who wants to give you the life that is truly life. The third thing is this, and you probably hear me say something along these lines in just about every sermon I preach, and I'll continue to say it in every other sermon I preach. But to have a bold and unashamed faith, you have to get close to Jesus every single day. Every single day. Uh, Another author I've been reading lately says this, from the beginning, God's heart for humanity has been the same, to share with them the union that he shares with his son. Friends, Jesus desires you. 
Say this, Jesus desires me. Say it again, Jesus desires me. He longs for you to open your heart to his presence. You know, some of us struggle in our prayer lives to get into his presence, but you know, even science tells us how the neurobiology of our brain gets rewired when we start to find a little bit of pleasure in something. (laughs) Go to him and carve out a little bit of time for him. Start there. And when you feel the, when you pray to, to, to break, until you feel the breakthrough of his peace and his presence, that, that pleasure will actually rewire your brain to want more. But you see, you have to take the first steps and give himself, give yourself to him. And the more you get close to him, here's how this works. The more you get close to Jesus, the more of his life begins to flow in and through you. See, friends, without that happening, we will never have the boldness to confess the name of Jesus before our friends, family, and neighbors. Unless his life is flowing through us through the power of his Holy Spirit, we cannot do it in my own power. We cannot do it in our own power. And some of us, we need to get down on our knees tonight at our bedside before we need to, before we go to bed and say, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on me because I've been, I've been lacking boldness. I have denied your name in public. I've refused to speak it and I need your Holy Spirit to give me boldness, to renew me, to restore my life again to you. And he will. He's more eager to give it than we are to ask. We go back to this foundational truth. God is good. Every day, he didn't wake up in a bad mood today. He's not glaring at you with anger and resentment. He's calling out to you with open arms, saying, I want to make you the next John Wesley, the next George Whitfield, the next Brother Young, the next evangelist who reaches the nations and the cities for my name. Come to me and I'll pour out my spirit upon you. Friends, will we consecrate our lives to him in fasting and prayer and the study of his word and serving the poor, healing the sick in such a way that he looks upon us and he says, there's one that I've got. And we will pour out his blessing on us. The Bible says, Jesus says, that those who are faithful with little will be given more. So this is what I want you to do. You wake up tomorrow for your morning devotions. Ask yourself, ask the Lord, what's the little that you've given me right now to steward? Who's that person that you want me to be sharing your love with? What's that one thing in my life that needs to absolutely be destroyed and done away with once and for all? Lord, because I want more. I want more responsibility, more freedom, more of your love, more of your Holy Spirit in my life. Friends, he'll pour it out on you. He can't wait. He can't wait to meet you there. He can't wait to meet me there. He is a good father. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, when we do that, when we go into his presence, into that, into that prayer closet and wipe away the cobwebs and get back in there and give everything to him and just be in his presence, not striving, but resting there, seeking to hear his voice. He will empower us and we'll no longer be ashamed to give our everything for the name of Jesus. If you're able, if you would just kneel with me and uh, pray before the King of Kings.
Jesus, we honor your presence today here in our midst. We're not worthy to even host you here in this house. But in your grace and your compassion and your loving kindness, you come here, Lord. And you speak to us. God, I pray that your word that has gone out today would not return void, Lord. But that it would water the soil of our hearts and produce an abundant crop. That the world may know that you are calling out to them in love. Not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to the knowledge of the truth. I pray for everyone in this room, Lord. Young and old, rich and poor. That every one of us would receive from you today what you have for us. Lord, that we would seek after the anointing of your Holy Spirit. That we would pray for revival in our own hearts, in our churches, in our communities. We pray, Lord God, that there would be revival in our schools. That there would just be an increase, Lord, of the work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we know you are coming to return to judge the living and the dead and to establish your beautiful kingdom on this earth. And so, God, we ask that you would make us bold witnesses of the truth of your love and your forgiveness. We cannot do it without you, Lord. I cannot do it without you. So come here today, Lord. We just give you a moment to minister to us. thank you for your great love. We thank you that no matter how much we've been failing, you're ready to pick us up and stand us up with your gentle, scarred hands and whisper gently in our ears that your love has not been broken for us and that you want to use us in all of our weakness so that your power might be on display to the world. We thank you for your love, Lord. We thank you for the gift of your Son. In his name we pray.